Welcome back to another episode of the Remaster Podcast, hosted by me, your brother Abdullah Freeman, and we're here joined with a special guest, uh, our wonderful Ustada Husay Mujadidi. Sister Husay, salamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Akhi Abdullahi, how are you? It is such an honor, mashallah, to, to speak to you, to meet you. Alhamdulillah, to be a part of this wonderful effort. Barakallahu fika. Um, you know, we're smiling because, you know, I forgot to hit the record, but so we actually we actually started this episode like maybe like 10, 15 minutes ago, but we had a nice rehearsal. Like, we nice rehearsal, but we're getting into it. But just to give you guys a quick background about our wonderful Ustada, she's been an Islamic teacher and public speaker, author, spiritual counselor, and me uh, mental health advocate for over 25 years. She's been in the Bay for over 20 years where she studied Aqidah. Uh, Sira, Hanafi Fiqh, Tazkiyah Nafs, Tajweed, Hadith, and other Ulum with uh with several resident and visiting scholars. She currently teaches weekly Islamic classes uh, to high school and middle school students and Tajweed to uh, college students. So please, if you're in the Bay Area, please check out the Ustada. So Ustada, please. Salaamu Alaikum. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> So I'm trying to have emotional intelligence in this moment without, uh, you know, but we're talking about emotional intelligence and dawah, you know, just to explain it, dawah is the act of, you, you can say it, it's evangelism, right? And it's uh, a goal of all Muslimin across the world, right? Because it's something we'll be asked about, about how we spread this deen and what efforts do we put towards this, you know? So just to ask the Ustada and just to pick up where we were uh, talking from about the, the, significance of dawah in islam you know and ustada you were explaining how people in your uh you teach people that uh this dawah is not just something for the duat and the da'i it's for it's for all muslimin you know something we all need to engage in so please if you just continue from that point <laughs> off you know? absolutely absolutely well we started off first by you know the the verse in the quran where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Udu'a ila sabiri rabbika bil hikmah right where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally quite literally, literally tells us to call to the way of your lord with wisdom so this is a command he's telling us how to and then the prophet also said him also you know he has uh, the beautiful hadith which is anni walaw aya which is teach on my behalf, even if it's just one ayah. So these are, you know, very clear directives, which to me indicates that all of us, right, every single one of us, and this is what I was sharing with you earlier, that when I'm teaching, with, I'm, when I'm with my students, whatever age they are, I really try to inculcate this identity that we are by virtue of our creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put us as his vicegerents, right, khulafa on earth, to represent his faith, we all have to be doing da'wah. Like it's it's mm -hmm. part of uh, the creed, the belief of a believer to be actively living Islam, modeling Islam, and teaching Islam, of course, with emotional intelligence, which is what mm -hmm. we're here to talk about, right? How do you do it in the prophetic way? Uh, so that's that's the the model that we have is obviously the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The perfect model. Perfect model. And, you know, just to, for those wondering, emotional intelligence by definition, let's see. What is Mental it? Health America, Mental Health America says EI, emotional intelligence is the ability to manage both your own emotions and understand the emotions of people around you. So Exactly. That is what it is. Right. And I'll just give you, because I like to kind of give people 
the the background of how I even fell into emotional intelligence. Uh, several years ago, I was teaching. Um, I do a lot of women's halakas, and so mm-hmm. part of my women's halakas is about spiritual and self development, like you know, really mm-hmm. trying to come into your own, forging a strong identity. So I came upon this term, and I started looking at the work of someone named Daniel Goleman, and he's mm-hmm. actually. Uh, credited for kind of putting the word on the map, right, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. This around the 1990s, he's a psychologist and a science journalist. He started looking at some research that two other uh, psychologists produced where they coined the term. So they they coined the term emotional intelligence. He found Mm -hmm. their research. He wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, Why IQ Can Matter, or Why EQ, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ, excuse me. And that book went you know, in today's vernacular viral, it it Mm -hmm. sold millions of copies and it became very popular. And so as I started reading his work and specifically, he has these five qualities that he outlines as what it means to be an emotionally intelligent person. I started reading them and it struck me right away that every single thing that he has described in these five points directs us actually to prophetic character all five of them. And so then I was like, this is incredible because this is a great tool to use to teach people, the modern Muslim, you know, who's, we're sometimes um, like children, you know, so to speak, when we, we get, we get um, impressed by things that are shiny and new, you know, Mm -hmm. if you give a child like a brand new toy, they'll let go of their favorite toy very quickly because something is new. Right. And I think some of us have the tendency to, sometimes take for granted the richness that our deen offers. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many things nowadays, for example, have come about as being somehow revelatory, right? In the, for the Western audience, like intermittent fasting and, you know, using siwak or just the, a lot of the hygiene, uh, you know, practices that we have that have been established practices in our own faith for centuries. Right. But Muslims tend to be more impressed when, you know, maybe this is a part of our colonial mindset that we just, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we're too impressed by Western standards. But anyway, so I, I figured here we have this list. It's five qualities. I can absolutely make connections to each of these and align them with the Prophet Sira, with his teachings, with Quran. And this is going to be the tool that I'm going to use to teach. And alhamdulillah, it's been an incredible journey because you, I mean, uh, I don't, again, I'm not familiar, sure if, you're, if you've seen the five points, but I can go over them really quickly. Um, like the first point of uh, emotional intelligence when you're studying it is called mm-hmm. self-awareness, right? Like mm-hmm. to be self-aware. Then it's mm-hmm. self-regulation. Then it's uh, motivation, empathy, and then social skills. That's it. So if you have these five qualities and you really develop them, you will be an emotionally intelligent person. So I started thinking, well, hold, hold up. Let's look at this, you know, from through the lens of Islam. Mm-hmm. To be self-aware is very prophetic because the Prophet was the most self-aware human being ever to exist. He had yeah. full awareness, right, of who he was, the dunya, the enemies of Islam, the, the, the on the spiritual realm, he could perceive things that we can't perceive. So talk about self-awareness but then you know you build that idea in terms of like knowing what is your purpose right why are we here why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create you specifically what is your mission and this is where da'wah becomes integral because yes we have 
personal obligations, spiritual and otherwise, but we also have a collective obligation, right? This is the, where the Fardain and the Fard Kifaya come mm-hmm. into play. And part of our collective obligation is to actually live Islam and to present Islam. So here I am as a Muslim woman, you can clearly see I am a practicing Muslim woman because part of the way that I am living my faith is very outward. Same with you. Mashallah, I look to you, you're wearing your... Um, your um i forgot uh, is it called now what is it i forgot what this is called um but it's 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 the, very the palestinian ones, the hatta, um the kaf- yeah the, the kafia is the palestinian one i can't i forgot what what yeah, it's specifically mm-hmm. it's called but mashallah you're wearing it and then you have your beard so you're practicing your faith I got my, I got my on too, Jella beard. there you I'm go you got your tobe i have my abaya <laughs> on so we are clearly mm-hmm. living and displaying our faith mashallah and so that's part of the you know, obligation as well. So self-awareness, I, I, I mean, when I do a workshop, I go into many different layers of each of these. But um, in the context of Dawah, like I said, we can take every single one of these and I can show you exactly how they align with the Prophet's example. Um, that's why it's such a powerful um, pairing, you know, when you think of Dawah and emotional intelligence. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm happy. I don't want to. I, I can keep going because this is. I told no, you. No, no, this is what we brought you here for, Ustada. We need this. This is what we brought you here okay, for. Okay, no, So, so just to, again, keep it going. So when I mm-hmm. when I started exploring this more, and I saw the response because I get mm-hmm. so many, you know, people coming to me. Oh my God, this is so amazing. It's it's really opened my eyes. It's like discover. I'm discovering things I never realized before. Alhamdulillah, that's all amazing, right? So then I'm scratching my head because I had read. That, you know, this was like, I think the Harvard Business Review said this is a paradigm shattering idea, this idea that emotional intelligence is actually more valuable than IQ. Like they were really impressed by this idea. So I'm thinking, you know what, this is, a st- you know, like this, ha- there has to be something in Islam where these ideas of intelligence and emotions were brought together because I just you know when that when something is so obviously powerful mm-hmm. and true and people are testifying to its impact, I know it's got to be in Islam somewhere. It's somewhere there, right? We just mm-hmm. we just need to explore. So I actually asked one of my teachers. I said, "Is this idea of intelligence being directly related to emotions somewhere in our tradition?" And he pointed me to this hadith, and, I, and just this blew me away when he re- when he told me. I said, "Yeah, Allah, I knew it, I knew it." The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said 1400 plus years ago, he said, Ra'asul aqli ba'd al-imani billahi at-tawaddudu ila nas which means the basis of reasoning, of intellect, the first point that you that we you and I as human beings demonstrate our intellectual capacity is believing in God, right? Because if you're in a truly intelligent person, you cannot deny your own createdness, right? Like a truly intelligent person who's actually using their mind will look at their own body, their own form, their own existence and testify that there has to be a creator, right? So that's how you initially establish your intelligence. Then he said, after that, right? So after you've established that you're an intelligent person, then the next sign of intelligence is loving kindness towards people. So he actually paired intelligence with the ability to manage, right? Because you defined emotional intelligence, which is what it is, identifying and managing your own emotions, as well as the emotions of other people. So having that ability to, again, 
um, believe in God, which is establishing intelligence, but then knowing how to uh, display and relay and convey that loving kindness towards other people demonstrates intelligence. Like you, if you're not, a, you know, uh, people who are not very intelligent have a very difficult time with those uh, attributes, those, those qualities of being um, able to control themselves, of being able to uh, show their emotions. And that's why you're going back to the five qualities, right? Um, I mentioned the first point is, is self-awareness. So really being clear about who you are. Um, like, I mean, I go into such detail, like people need to think about this. Not only should you know about why are you here? Why did Allah create you? What is your purpose? Where are you going? All those, those questions. Right. But then you, you know, also mm -hmm. to just jump and interject, Ustada, you sure, know, it no, just makes me do. really think like, subhanAllah, like the, the pillar of emotional intelligence is literally Tawheed. Exactly. It's like, subhanAllah, I never thought of that. I've never, ever thought, yeah. to, which it makes sense, right? Because to deny the most, like the what is the basis of in the entirety of existence is to deny everything else, right? And it's like, subhanAllah, exactly. like I didn't even put that together. And to, you know, it makes me think of that. Uh, I don't know if it's a hadith or it's not an ayat. I think it's a hadith where it says to know your Lord is to know yourself. I believe. Oh yeah. So that's the other, that's the other very powerful. It's, it's actually, it's often quoted as a hadith, but it's a maxim. It's like a proverb that's the Arabs have used for okay. centuries, which is So there is a direct connection to knowledge of self and knowledge of God. You're right. A hundred percent that if you want to be an emotionally intelligent person, the core of it is Tawheed and Allah, because the only way that you can know yourself or know anything is from God. We have zero capacity, right, outside of uh, what God enables us. So, in Allah, when you when you understand that, then you you make that connection. But absolutely, and that's why the starting point is self awareness: is to really have these deep. In, you know, conversations with yourself to explore how much of yourself have you actually understood. And you'd be surprised, like things that our scholars have taught, taught for centuries, which we need to revive, like something like Mizaj. Um, this is another example of Muslims. I had someone uh, just earlier today ask me about the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of personality tests. Um, I'm oh, sure yes. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, right? um, yeah, Enneagram is one of those that is very popular. So is like the MBTI, the 16 personalities. So there's a lot of personality tests that people take, uh, but they don't realize that our tradition is rich with a whole science on human personality called Mizaj, which teaches you what is your temperament? Are you a um, uh, an intense, uh, you know, reactive person? Are you flexible? Are you um, a social person? Are you more introverted? It, it goes into all of these qualities. And in Wait, fact- Wait, stop, 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 yes. stop, stop, stop. You're telling <laughs> you, me Islam has personality tests? Yes. Stop. Yes. There are archetypes in our tradition that have also been shared in other traditions. The Christian tradition has the same, uh, you know, uh, structure or the same um, uh, tool that, that they use called the temperament theory. But our scholars wrote about it. And I'm telling you, like, even Tibbet Nebi, right, when you study, like, prophetic medicine, it's uh -huh. tied to this knowledge of, of the four the elements. Yes, the mizaj, knowing like our, our, your constitution, your physical constitution. Are you a 
hot, uh, you know, uh, do you have heat, excessive heat? There's so much overlap with with uh, with the physical medicinal sort of properties that we also have, as well as personality. And this is from Ibn Sina. So Ibn Sina, right, which uh, everybody knows as Avicenna, the Latinized name, he's the one who actually expanded the ideas um, that were introduced by Hippocrates and Galen around the, the humors or, or temperaments, and then added to them personality traits. So he developed this whole um, science around mizaj called mizaj. And it's so powerful because once you study it, it changes your whole perception of yourself. And in fact, as a, I'm go sorry, because I have so much to say on this, but go ahead. No, go ahead, go, no, go ahead and start Go ahead. Because I was just going to ask you to list any books or anything that we can look this up. Absolutely. Sure. Now I will, I'll definitely share those with you. I've done a lot of online stuff as well, but one point that to just to indicate to you just how common this was, taught, many of our great scholars taught it, but Imam al-Ghazali, he actually said, it's one of his quotes, that anyone who has not studied Mizaj, if you have not studied the temperaments, the human temperaments, and don't know human personalities, should not be around children. He gave that very clear advice. Like if you're a parent or a teacher and you've never studied Mizaj, what are you doing? Because you have to understand human beings. You have to understand that not two, two children raised in the same household, they could even be womb mates, you know, the mm. twins or triplets mm. or quadruplets. They could have the so much uh, shared experiences and come out completely different because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, you know, uh, has created them different. And so to understand the variance of human personality is very important when you're working with children. And I'll tell you, like, this is a story I've shared before, but it's, it was very impactful for me because I give presentations on the temperament. So I once was teaching it and this mother came up to me afterwards weeping. She was crying. She had two sons and she told me, she's like, I wish I knew this science when my children were younger because in hindsight now I can see that I unfairly treated one by comparing him to his older brother and making my, my younger son always feel somehow deficient because she's expecting, you know, uh, same exact child I should be able to produce. That's my house, my rules, my everything. So when her second child was not the outgoing, you know, athletic sort of ideal boy, and he was more shy and introverted, she treated him like there was something wrong with him, like there was a defect. Mm. And she realized that during the course of my presentation, she was devastated because she's like, wow. if I knew that this was, God just designs people differently. And some people are introverted. Some people are extroverted. Some people are reactionary. Um, some people are not reactionary. They, they freeze in the, in the, in the, in a crisis situation, you will see like there, uh, there's a, a, a different levels of people. There are people who jump right in and they go into hero mode. There are other people who literally are paralyzed with fear. Does, is it fair to presume that one is better than the other? Or can we say, which is where the Prophet said, he now brings it all home for us, that we possess all four of these temperaments. When you study them, uh, it's easier to understand. But the the purpose of the human being is to actually bring yourself into perfect balance because that was the prophet he had all four temperaments in perfect harmony and that's what that's what our goal is so it's not that one is better than the other it's that we all possess all four at different levels you know 
Like you might be excessive in one temperament with certain people, you might have deficiencies in, with other temperaments. So the goal is to try to adapt prophetic character so that you're in perfect harmony like he was. That's why everywhere he went, why is it people flocked to him? Why is it mm -hmm. that he was a, had such appeal? Because he was literally tapping into this force that made him project light. And of course, it's all from Allah that made him relatable to everybody, man, woman, child, a poor, uh, you know, wealthy. It doesn't matter. He had that appeal and it's because he was in perfect harmony in his temperament. Obviously he had prophetic virtue. Subhanallah. This, you, this is why Ustada, mashallah. Wow. <laughs> I never knew Islam had something like this. I've never heard of Mizaj before. Like never. I think I've heard of I've heard of something in relation to it with uh, the uh, medical treatment and things of that nature, like to each type of Yes. Never that it went to the extent of personality types, but either way, we'll tap into that more. But you did give an excellent segue to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, with the, 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 like, what's your favorite story of the Prophet, وسلم, exemplifying his emotional intelligence? Excellent. There's so many to choose from, but my the one that I always always comes to mind. I'm sure you're familiar with it too, because it really does convey his emotional intelligence vis-a-vis -vis the Sahaba, mm. the man who entered the masjid and he urinated. Right. Mm. He when the Prophet I mean, just imagine that scene. And I always tell people, first of all, imagine it today in your masjid. You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine someone walks in in any mosque in any part of the world today, the chaotic scene that would unfold, the mass hysteria that would unfold. It would be, a, that man would not survive. He would not live out, out the door, right? Um, so that's what happened. The companions, when they saw him, because they're still human, they're still working on themselves, right? They immediately erupted and were very angered by, because of the audacity of someone to come into a place of worship and do that, right? But this is where you absolutely see the emotional intelligence of the Prophet Sallallahu What did he do? He said, he first of all managed them, right? He said, you calm down. Don't you leave him alone. And not only do you leave him alone, you build a satar, like, like veil him and let him finish. <laughs> so... He, he, first of all, I mean, obviously he's in full control of himself. He didn't get riled up. He managed them, told them what to do. He let the man finish. And then, then he told some of them to give them something to do clean, like get water, pour over mm -hmm. it, clean that and let me deal with him. And then the man, this man came to the Prophet and in the most gentle way, in a situation that most of us would say justifiably if he was angered, okay, it makes sense. But he never just did that. He never lost comportment. He never let his anger overtake him. He was always in control. So what did he do? He just advised him and said, this is not, this is a place of worship. We do not do that in this place, right? That is emotional intelligence, being able to see the, that, that, you know, this was a human being. He had a human moment. He's acting out of ignorance. You, why are you being triggered by that and personalizing that, right? Why aren't you stepping into a role where you could just, you know, correct the situation and manage it instead of letting your emotions go? And that's what most of us do because we're not practicing uh, these beautiful virtues that he displayed for us, which is the second quality. So, you know, this, uh, I mentioned... Um, Mizaj and Aqidah and a lot of those things as the first quality self-awareness. The second quality is actually self-regulation, which from the 
from our faith perspective, that is taskiyat nafs, controlling mm-hmm. yourself, right? You have to learn how to, you know, pr- uh, basically manage your emotions, f- fix your own problems, see your own diseases, cleanse your own heart. And that requires a lot of regulation. It requires biting your tongue. It requires being able to, again, in a situation like we just, you know, heard from this story, this hadith, knowing how to do the best uh, or how to behave in the best way where it's mutually beneficial for everyone, right? Because if I let my nafs direct, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm thinking only of myself, right? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, continue, continue. Yeah, so so that that that's you know where practicing self regulation uh, is is uh, is you know is in line with again the prophetic example, which is once you've figured out who you are, right? You've practiced, you've worked on developing your understanding of yourself. You understand that you have a purpose. You're you're working with tools, you know, for you because everything is very subjective. Your challenges are going to be very different than my challenges, right? So you got to understand that about yourself. Then you go into the uh, work, the, the the tilling of the soil, as they say, right? Because you can't plant new things on dead, hardened earth. You got to till, you got to remove that hard earth and bring up the soil. So that process is the nafs. It's cleansing, it's purifying, it's cultivating, and it's working on becoming the best version of yourself. So we go, we get to self-regulation. And again, the reason why I love this, uh, this, uh, whole framework is because it's organized and it pairs beautifully when you juxtapose it to sirah and sunnah. So we go from aqidah, really building yourself, knowing yourself. And if you look at even the Meccan period, right, the earlier period, that's what they were doing. They were meeting, they were cultivating, they were learning. They were totally in um, a state of ubudiyah, just completely uh, submitting to the will of God. They weren't out there calling people to Islam yet because they needed to work on themselves. They had to do that inner deep spiritual work first, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, the, the, the Meccan period is all about this work, this hard work, uh, really testing their own limits and putting their trust in Allah. So all of that comes in the first two. And the motivation, which is the third uh, point of emotional intelligence, is intrinsically found because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says what? When you are grateful, I will increase you. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we, uh, you know, get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he advances closer to us. So the facilitation comes. He will make uh, it enjoyable. And that's why you see, you know, people who come to Islam as, as converts or when people embrace Islam, you know, even if they were born Muslim, like I had my whole, I feel like I, I had a conversion, you know, to, cut, to start Same. practicing Islam. Right. There's that sweet time of just absolute enjoyment because you're Allah is making it so easy for you. So there's this intrinsic uh, motivation that comes, which uh, obviously you, you have to continue doing the work, but Allah feeds into that by making things easy, delight. You find the delights and joys of worship. Praying is not hard. Fasting, everybody's excited about. Where is that coming from, right? It's because Allah is giving you that extra motivation because you're doing the hard work. And then after you go to, you know, the first three qualities of emotional intelligence are very personal to the self, right? It's all about you. You have to become self-aware. You have to be self-regulated. You have to be motivated. Then we get to the last two. And this is where the beautiful pivot happens, even by uh, Islam. 
this is where the Medinan period comes. You've done a lot of the hard work. You have victory. You have Badr. You have all these amazing openings, right, that the Muslims went through. And then, boom, now you got to think outward. Now is the call for da'wah. Now you have to do what? Be empathic. You have to start realizing that the people outside of your experience, lived experiences have different challenges. They weren't raised the same that you were. So you don't go judging everybody. You have to look, you know, see, meet people where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. Some people uh, have had a lot of conflict in their life. They've had a lot mm-hmm. of turbulence. They've had a lot of turmoil. They've had a lot of trauma. Be compassionate, right? And practice empathy and work on the um, the challenge that you have with a spiritual challenge, which we all have as Muslims, to not become an arrogant person. Because if you start... Which you, is very, very something we should pay attention to. Like it's very, it's, it can happen. It's very scary, actually, you know, especially absolutely. as, you know, uh, as somebody who has studied the more knowledge you get, it you don't want to say you're becoming imposing, but it's you know you don't. It, it's scary. It's a very thin line. It's very scary. Just one hundred percent. And this is why I don't know if you've ever seen. There's a wonderful document. You should definitely see it if you haven't. Um, I can send it to you. But it's called the Foundations of the Spiritual Path, and this is by mm-hmm. a great scholar, uh, a Moroccan scholar, Sidi Ahmed Zarouk. But he mm-hmm. actually outlines the pitfalls of um, being on the spiritual path. And one of them is arrogance. Like it's very, we're all susceptible to it. And in fact, um, there's another great story that really shows that, you know, because sometimes we understand tests like that the human being is, is, uh, is attested only in the context of tribulation, right? So we can see someone being tested with their health, with their wealth, with their marriage, with whatever, like even now, obviously the people of Gaza in in this horrible situation, we can observe that that is a test, right? It's a test, right? But there's a wonderful story that actually shows that there are four tests that all human beings are under. Every, no matter what, all people are under one of these four states. And this is like the ultimate equalizer for me because, and it's important that we as practicing Muslims see that we are being tested even in our faith. And I'll explain. So the story goes that uh, Ibn Atta'ila, one of our great scholars, he was once really overwhelmed by the burdens of dunya. So he went to one of his teachers, Abu uh, Abu Abbas al-Mursi. And he said to him, I'm burdened by dunya. The dunya is just, it's driving me crazy. I'm going, I'm having a very hard time. So this great sheikh said to him, I'm going to give you this lesson. If you learn it and you apply it, you'll be fine. So then he proceeds to tell him that all human beings, every single person created is in one uh, or two of four states, basically, essentially. And that this is how we have to see the world, that everybody's being tested all the time, everywhere, no matter what. What are the four tests? The first, he said, is tribulation. So obviously, people who are really tested in difficult circumstances, Allah is putting them through that test and their the desired response is sabr, sabr and jameel, right? To have beautiful patience, to endure their test and Allah will make it easy for them and reward them. That's what Allah expects from everybody who's being tested with tribulation. The second is ni'mah. So some it's kind of like a conundrum, like, wait, what? How is someone who's in blessing being tested? Oh, yes, they are. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just giving you all these blessings without a reason. He's giving you those blessings to get a desired response out of you. And that response is gratitude. And not just gratitude of the tongue, right? Because that's a very limiting gratitude. 
If you're just going to say Alhamdulillah, but then your actions speak otherwise, you are not giving the right response, right? So you are in test. If you have wealth, mm -hmm. you've got great health, you have a great relationship, you have all these blessings, you think Allah's not testing you? Of course he is. He's waiting to see, are you showing and demonstrating gratitude? And guess what? Part of gratitude is absolutely da'wah bringing it back full circle. Dawah is showing your gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, I am so grateful for all that you've given me that I want to obviously be in obedience to you and fulfill my obligations to you, but also share the medicine that you have poured upon me, right? Because Islam is shifa. It's, it's the healing that we all are pouring into ourselves because we're re realizing the world has gone mad. People are evil. People are crazy. Everything's going, you know, dark. Mm -hmm. And here Allah has given us this great light. So we're loving it for ourselves, but we can't hoard it. We're supposed to go out and share it. So gratitude is actionable and it's using the blessings Allah subhanahu has given you for good. And then you're truly a, a shek and you're truly a grateful person. So that's your test if you're grateful. The other two tests are guidance and misguidance. And if you're guided, like if you have hidayah, you're also being tested. Like right now, we're Muslim. And so sometimes, just to bring it to the point we made earlier, that it's a spiritual pitfall of being a practicing Muslim and being on the path of knowledge and being on the spiritual path, that you could easily become arrogant and deluded by nafs. The way to prevent that from happening is to constantly make sure that you do not fall into self-righteousness and that you stay humble. So the the test of the believer is to be humble, that we maintain our humility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even when we're looking at people outside of our faith, you know, to otherize people, oh, they're all kafirun and mushrikun. And this is not our way. This is not the Prophet's way. He saw souls and he wanted every single soul to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't collective, you know, collect people into these groups and labels and these tribalistic ideas where it's them versus us. So this is why we as believers have to be very careful and empathy plays a big role in that, right? Because if you're empathic, then you see that when you see people outside, you know, acting foolish, depraved, they're doing horrific things, they're dressing inappropriately, they're drinking, they're in debauchery, that you remember they don't know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't know who he is. They've never heard the Quran, read the Quran. They don't know the Prophet ﷺ. Why are you judging them so harshly? He could take guidance away from you and give it to uh, to to them. Like the story of Isa, right? Sayyidina Isa who was with one of his disciples or with one of his students. And then a thief saw them two together and uh, he he commented on how you know amazing it was to see Sayyidina Isa with with uh, this other man. And the man that was with Sayyidina Isa was disgusted by this thief or this brigand, and he made some very you know rude comment about him. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala commanded him to leave that companion and take the thief as a companion, because the 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 companion had arrogance. He looked down on that guy. So Allah actually switched their entire roles. And Sayyidina Isa ended up taking the thief as a companion because he desired to have the companionship of a prophet, whereas the one who had the companionship of a prophet looked down on other people. So we oh. have to be very careful to not fall into arrogance. And that's where empathy 
is a huge part of our tradition. And there's so many examples. I mean, I could list so many examples to you of the Prophetism's empathy for people, for children, for women, for the poor, for animals, and not even just animals, for inanimate objects. You know, um, I mean, when he was on Uhud, and Uhud started trembling because he was with, I believe it was Sayyidina Umar and uh, was it Sayyidina Adi? I can't remember. Or Sayyidina um, uh, Abu Bakr maybe. But he was with two companions. Mm-hmm. And Uhud started to get nervous. And the Prophet gently tapped his foot and like calm down, you know, the tree that he hugged. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. These are all actions where he is displaying. To add to that, yes. not once, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but not once did he ever curse any of the 360 idols. He never said anything bad of them. He just said, exactly. these are idols. Exactly. Exactly. SubhanAllah. So, I mean, example after example where he's displaying empathy. And that's, you know, part of, again, dawah is you, you need to be an empathic person if you're going to do dawah. You cannot you know, go out there and just start to call people to Allah. And then the moment they say something to you, and I can tell you so many terrible stories of people who've been turned away uh, by Muslims because they yep. didn't lack empathy. For example, um, uh, do you, I'm sure you know the the well-known, um, she's a, a nurse, Florence Nightingale. Um, she's, the name she's, is very familiar. Yeah, is she? I, I actually don't know too much about her her life story. I just know that she was a very famous, well known nurse, and I think that's what she's uh, often known for. But uh-huh. she actually, in her one of her memoirs or her autobiography or, or her story, she said that she went to Egypt and she was uh, just in absolute awe of Egyptian culture, of Egyptian people. She fell in love with everything, and one day she just happened to go into a, a mosque, a masjid. And she was so moved by the architecture, the beauty of this masjid, that she walked into it without a hijab. She, I mean, this is at the beginning of the last century, very, a long time ago, but she walked into it. And this man who, you know, may Allah forgive him, but he uh, was the keeper, I think, or one of the people who maintained the masjid. He saw her without a hijab and he immediately came and he pushed her out of the masjid and yelled at her, rebuked her, like, get out, get out, get out. And she wrote that if it was not for that single incident, she would have become a Muslim. Subhanallah. We have to question, like on the day of judgment, right? Who's going to stand before God? And Allah knows, obviously, he's going to ultimately judge between them too. But between that man who did not have empathy, he had Islam, but he did not practice prophetic character. And here's a woman who was on the verge. I mean, she was right there, but she was pushed away. So empathy is so important because... You can turn people away from the faith. And then social skills, the last uh, quality of emotional intelligence. This is so big because what you and I talked about at the beginning of the hour, which is, you know, our names and how Mm -hmm. when you talk about your name, it can really actually open up a great discussion. Um, This is something that, you know, alhamdulillah, I've seen in my uh, lifetime, but I've also kind of, you know, extrapolated it from the example of the Prophet who took great care when he would visit people, especially different tribes, different peoples. He took great care to um, speak in their dialect, to know about their culture. Uh, And so when I learned that this was a sunnah of his, I started doing the same thing. I started asking people questions about like the language that they speak and then asking them to teach me phrases because he was exemplifying to us that if you want to really make strong connections with people, you want to be effective in dawah, you want people to respect you and listen to you, 
make an inroad into their heart through their culture, through their language, and appreciation for you know their their leaders or their you know the, their elders. Do these things because it actually shows that you are a caring, thoughtful, considerate person, not self-absorbed, right? Not self-absorbed. You're actually willing to learn about other people. So those are that's just one of his many incredible qualities of social skills. I think two moments that you know that come to my mind that are moments that I really you see the emotional intelligence of the Prophet ﷺ that I think about. One is an incident with our mother Aisha radiallahu anha, in which I believe our other mother Um Salama sent him food, and Aisha was there and she smashed the bowl in front of him, right? And he didn't get angry. He didn't yell at her. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he said, you have to, basically, you have to replace her bowl, your mother's bowl, right? But it's like, mm -hmm. subhanAllah, like, imagine you are the Rasul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most beloved. And like, if you think of any other uh, leader of authority or figure of power to have something humiliating like that happen, right? Like, right. somebody just smash food in your face that you were about to eat, but him not even react in a way that's negative. And then the other moment I think about is when they finally conquer uh, Mecca, right? And yes. he says the same exact, uh, uh, exactly what Yusuf salam said to his brothers yes. when they came before him in Egypt. And it's like, subhanAllah, full circle moment. Like in that moment, he justifiably under, I was listening to some sheikh, um, I forget the sheikh's name, but under any law, he could have, he would have just executed those people, right? Absolutely. You're treacherous. Yeah. He didn't. He he forgave everybody and Islam proceeded. So just those two type of moments, it just, it shows when you talk about self-restraint, it's like subhanAllah, like how do you like restrain yourself in those moments? Because I mean, think about at that moment when you have the city, now you think of from the, from our mother Sumaya radiallahu when she passed the first Shaheed all the way down the last all these years, everything that's happened, all the things that have happened to Muslimin, the boycotts, the people who've died, the wars, everything. And now you're hearing it's like, I got you guys, but you guys are free. And it's like, subhanAllah, like Incredible. that, I don't know, just those moments. But, you know, to bring it now to like the modern age and to speak a little bit to what you said, you know, it's very true. You know, I always tell people, we as Muslims, we can't say that it's just like me and me and you, Ustaz, if we have a conversation, I start the conversation like, Okay, Ustada, you know, that's that's a really ugly hijab. But anyways, listen, this is why you need to... You can't do that. You can't just... You, you can't start off on a foot like that. <laughs> you know? This is... It's just like you're like, hey, you know you're stupid, right? Okay. So this is why you need to accept this. No, you can't do that. You cannot exactly. do that at all. Nobody... If somebody said they would never listen to something about Islam, can you blame them? Right? Absolutely. Can you blame them with that approach? You know? But Absolutely. to those who... So just really quickly, Ustada, what are ways we can, like, I guess it's a two-part question, because you, you brought up some points that were really interesting to me. How can we adapt, how can we be use this emotional intelligence in terms of uh, adapting to speak to different individuals in our society? Because this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. Each companion that he went to is a different approach of how they came. Sayyidina Umar, how he came to Islam is different than... Abu Bakr is, is different than, you know, everybody's different. So what are ways we can do that is differently? And then also, can you speak to the, I guess the next, you know, I'll make that the last question. I got two questions after this, but can sure, you speak no, to that so point? That 
Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing those wonderful examples because, I, as I said, we could go on and on and share so many examples of how the Prophet displayed beautiful emotional intelligence in circumstances where the, most of us would fall apart. We would just lose it, right? Um, so that's why it's so important to study Sira because you're, you're, you know, uh, there's a hadith that al mu'min al al mu'min, right? That the believer is a mirror for the believer. Well, the most polished, beautiful, perfect mirror is the Prophet. So when we see his example, we want to reflect that, right, in ourselves. So those, uh, as well as many other examples, um, highlight these beautiful virtues. But in terms of your question, I think, you know, going back to the five points, it's very important that, again, before you jump the gun and get into the world of, of, um, of uh, Dawa, right? Because a lot of times there's this impulse. It's like, a, it's like you can't wait to do something, right? And this zeal, and I'll, I, I lived it. I very much know what I'm talking about because I lived this in my youth, this activist spirit, this zeal to want to be out there calling and doing a lot and just being very active, right? It comes a lot of times from um, there's, you know, there's a temperamental ish, uh, factor. It's also we're influenced by our, you know, um, our company that, that we keep and, and the environment that we're raised in. The environment, um, definitely, because you live in the Bay. And for some reason, when it comes to uh, education and activism, the Bay is like any <laughs> it's not like any other place in America when it comes to those two things. Very true. We, we definitely have a, a very, very spirited people here for that reason. I mean, Berkeley is, you know, kind of known uh, even just historically uh, with the Vietnam War and other conflicts to have produced a lot of activists. It's a culture of activism in the Bay Area, right? So community definitely plays a big role in that. But this is where our dean, you know, there is a, a proper order to things. And one of my favorite um, uh tools that I also borrow from Imam al-Ghazali is he gave us this great understanding of the human being and said, you know, basically that we are created in three parts, right? Mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us three separate faculties or abilities. And so he says that the most important aspect of the human being, if you look at the way we're created, is the mind. Allah has given us the, the mind and he's put that at the top of our creation because we are intelligent creation. What distinguishes us from animals and other creations is that we can do what we're doing here. We're talking, we're, we're, we're communicating, we're able to abstract, right? we're able to think, we have memories, we have all these incredible intellectual tools right? that he's given us. Language obviously being a big part of that. And that's the most important part of us. The other two parts, he says, are what he refers to as the faculty of emotions or and he's and that's in the heart, right? This is where emotional intelligence also comes into play. And then the third part is which is the appetitive faculty, the stomach and the private parts, right? And so why did he teach us this? Because he wants us to understand that we have impulses, we have drives, we have hormones, we have moods, we have desire, we have things that we have ego, we have shaitan, right? We have mm-hmm. all these influences that compel us to action. And they will use emotions and appetites to subvert us from our ultimate purpose, which is intellectual. We have to come at da'wah, we have to come at everything from a place of intellect, from a place of strategy, from a place of knowledge. But if you're driven to da'wah by emotion 
or appetites, right? Like if you're, if you're angry, um, I mean, emotion, uh, anger is obviously an emotion, but maybe there's something else you want. Cause sometimes, I mean, we see this, it's, there's a, uh, unfortunately with social media, there is a lot of virtue signaling. There are a lot of people who want status, who want prominence, who want renown. And so suddenly they're becoming an activist and they're getting likes and shares and they're suddenly monopolizing on the tragedies of other people just so that they can gain some sort of popularity, right? That is an appetitive impulse. There's no uh, spirit. There's no you know conscience. It's purely motivated by ulterior motives. And if you're not aware of yourself, you will be guided down that path. And there's other people, and I was saying this in a class I gave earlier today, when I was young, and I can say this as an adult now in my 40s as a mother, and I work a lot with teens and youth, I can say definitively, a lot of my early activism in my late teens and 20s a hundred percent. I was channeling my own personal anger through my activism. A hundred percent. I was very disconnected from what I was doing in a spiritual state, but it was very emotional. I was angry. I had personal issues I was going through and I channeled that anger through activism. That is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he sees it all. So who are we fooling? So that's why it's so important that we are very clear about our intentions. So if you want to be, if we want to do dawah, correctly aligned with the prophet said the way he as you mentioned very beautifully he would respectfully and respectively with every sahaba give them different you know tasks or actions and put them on different trajectories is because he had self-awareness and knowledge obviously he's the most emotionally intelligent person and he was teaching them to to play with their strengths right i mean or to to operate with their strengths so if you're strong in this area, you do that, right? And you and that's all part of uh, what we have to do. But it's a very strategic, intellectual approach. Like I am a teacher. I have known that I was going to be on the path of teaching. And I have always, I mean, even when mm-hmm. I was in middle school and high school, I knew I would be teaching. And I knew that my life's work would be with children because I've always loved to be around children. And then, you know, alhamdulillah, with women, that's something it was just within me and alhamdulillah Allah put me on that path and so that's my strength but I'm not I'm not the person that I would uh, put on you know um, the front line of of a, of a political activist kind of situation I had my stint in those earlier days but I, that's just not my realm right so I think every person has to know what is their strength for some people public work is just not it they don't want to ever be out in the open right they want to be in the background so if maybe you're better suited somewhere else and your form of dawa can be very different you know so this is where the intellectual the mind that imam al-ghazali was trying to remind us of has to kick in like you have to be always operating not from a, oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention this, but quickly, mm-hmm. the analogy he gave about the emotions and the appetites is very powerful. He said, your emotions are like a hunting dog. If you don't train it, right, which is what you're supposed to do with a hunting dog, it's supposed to retrieve things for you. So emotions are tools and gifts Allah's given so that it can yield something, right? We have, and that's why you have to know how to have the right emotion for the right time. You can't be all over the place emotionally. So you see emotions that way, right? It's like a hunting dog. You train it, it retrieves what you need, and it's under your command. The appetites, the analogy he gave, is a pig. He said, if you don't learn to master your appetites, 
you will be a slave to the pig. The pig will run the show because pigs, that's what they do. They eat anything. They, you know, they copulate with anything. They're disgusting creatures for that reason. So he's reminding us, don't be a dog that's run amok. Don't be a pig that has no control. Be an intellectual because that is the Adamic, that is the the path Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts you on as the son of Adam, as a Muslim, as a believer in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallah. That, is this in, uh, what's, uh, is it Ahya Al-Umadeen? Is this in his book? Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, actually, I'm sorry. I shouldn't cite the uh, exact uh, reference. I don't have it okay. on hand, but it's in it's in one of his great bodies of work. <laughs> okay. But I can I can uh, get that back to you on, on that, uh, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. So, you know, because we're, we're coming to the close, but, you know, the two questions, the next part, how can we present da'wah? And this, you know, We may may need to do a part two for this because this is a very in-depth question. Let's say, you know, in the recent rise of, uh, with the recent rise, I should say, of a lot of people converting to Islam, alhamdulillah, right? But also Islamophobia as well as rising as well. How can we, what are the ways we can implement emotional intelligence and leverage that against people who may be prejudiced to Islam or have biases or... There's people who are ignorant or have misconceptions, you know, how sure. can we still do that? Like in in the times of Islamophobia, like during this time period where we do see, you could probably say since 9-11, this is probably the time you'll see that the, the, it's been the most Islamophobic, you could say. Oh, but yeah. It, it's on the rise. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it's been terrible. I mean, CARE has produced some statistics that they're getting hundreds and hundreds of, uh, unfortunately, calls from people who have been you know, uh, subject to some sort of discrimination or racism or something. So it's absolutely, um, uh, unfortunately, on the rise. But uh, this question is very important because, again, we have to look to our own tradition. Islam is a deen of iqra. It's a deen of knowledge. It's a deen of really being empowered by the mind. So I'm going to go back to what I was just saying, which is if you want to do da'wah with Islamophobes, you cannot just operate from a place of emotion because emotions can be manipulated. They can twist and they do it. They, they're, they study, uh, you know, people, they know how to put us into agitated states. That's why you mm-hmm. see sometimes these interviews with Muslims and they lose their cool within two seconds. And then the whole mm-hmm. interview is gone. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to work on being above what they are. Cause they're all this. It's all about, right. Um, triggering you, upsetting you, angering you, taking you down a line where you're going to just unravel. So you have to be very mentally present. And I would say spend more time educating yourself. Don't And don't look to debate people. Most people who are seeking to debate don't come from a place of sincerity. Mm-hmm. They want to actually uh, try to, you know, again, uh, they, they see it as a very contentious or, uh, you know, thing. And, and they want to try to make an example out of you and humiliate you. And the, the believer is above that. We don't in, engage in debate unnecessarily. If a person is genuinely curious about Islam, then you can obviously answer questions and also know your own limitations. If you don't have knowledge, say, I don't know. That doesn't mean Islam doesn't know. It's okay. And actually, many of our great scholars, Imam Madik being one of them, was very proud and known for saying, I don't know when he was asked uh, but most of us, we, we just, we get so flustered and we think we have to, because that's the nafs. It's like your ego is, is more concerned with protecting your image than actually conveying the truth to the other person. And the truth can simply be, I just don't know, but I'll get back to you. So the point is, is 
if we want to do thou with Islamophobes, first of all, I mean, what does that even mean? If you want to rebut an Islamophobe, go the intellectual route. Know your information, know your deen well, don't open a can of worms on yourself by, you know, debating someone who's going to come and throw a hadith at you or an ayah at you that you've never studied and you're not prepared to answer. And now you're on the public stage embarrassing yourself, looking a fool. Don't do that. Know your limitations. And this is where I would say to a lot of the youth, because I was you at some point, I was uh, totally into the world of debate. I actually... Um, you know, now, oddly enough, I teach logic, debate, rhetoric. I know how to debate. But at that time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just an angry kid trying to get out my anger. And I had the gift of gap, like just be able to quickly talk, right? But I realized that even though I may have raised my voice and tried to posture like I was something, that I was doing more harm to the image of Islam and Muslims. And I felt my ego may have liked what I was doing because it was like, oh, yeah, I, I won. But really, did I in the sight of God? Right. Did I did I when I uh, barely said anything of substance, but I just ad hominem attacks. So you have to learn how to engage in intellectual dialogue, which is very different than debate. Debate is a nafsi thing. Intellectual dialogue is the exchange of ideas. It's the exchange of information. It's the the way that Muslims have always engaged, you know, and that's why we have adab al-ikhtilaf. Like even between scholars, they mm -hmm. differed with pure adab because they weren't out there to, to defeat their opponent. They were mm -hmm. there to exchange ideas and get to truth. And I think it was Imam Shafi who said, I never met someone but that I wished that the truth would be on his tongue. Like he didn't discuss with people, but he was, you know, with that Nia, like I wish he would say the truth, you know? So he wasn't in it for personal gain. Um, and I think that's the, where a lot of our young, uh, zealous, very passionate Muslims may need some guidance, which is tone it down, rein it in. That's your nafs, build yourself a little bit, get more knowledge. And when the time is right, if you feel like you're ready to engage with someone, make sure that you don't walk into an ambush and humiliate yourself, but be prepared and request. Uh, like if you're, if you're ever, I mean, just simple advice. If you're ever invited to do a debate with like someone of another faith or something else, always demand the questions ahead of time. Don't ever walk into an interview blind because that is exactly where you become the prey. You might walk in there thinking I'm the predator, but you're going to be the prey within seconds. Subhanallah, barakallah, fika, yeah, And I guess the last question to uh, wrap it up, you know, with that being said, I feel that we have youth who may be, they may have good intentions, right? They may be emotionally intelligent and they may have some knowledge on Islam. Let's say they have enough knowledge that they're able to convey to somebody the message of Islam. What would be the next steps to get somebody to get over the hump of giving someone da'wah, like how to go about that. You know, mm -hmm. th there may be some religious exchange of conversations and ideas, right? But right. is there a steps one can take to push over the edge, you know, to say, all right, my friend always talks to me about Islam. How do I break the, you know, like uh, yeah. icebreaker, you know, how do I pitch this to sure. him without seeming like, hey, take shahada, you know? No, it's a very good question, Zazagal Khair, and I actually um, appreciate it because I think generationally 
the Gen Zs and the millennials, you guys are at a really, I think, a, a turning point for the scene of Dawa. My generation, Gen X, we were post 9-11. So we fell into a very apologetic version of mm. Islam and Dawa, where we, and we were also quieted a lot because, you know, there's this whole agenda. It's a very postmodern agenda to, to make faith privatized, which is like, don't talk about religion, right? And we were part of that generation where religion was taboo. It's like, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, just keep that business private. And we fell into that mindset. So a lot of my generation, they're very shy to broach the subject of faith because of these reasons. But it's not, this is again, where we have to see that we are, we, our uh, standards of how we conduct ourselves should not fall uh, according to cultural norms and practices, but what does Allah demand of us? And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands of us to be du'at and da'is, then we have to make sure that that's a priority and a big part of our identity. And now the application of that, how we do that, is by being very careful and cautious and considerate. Because a person who's curious about Islam, if they're genuinely curious it's like an itch that needs to be scratched. They will keep coming and asking questions. All you have to do is leave the door open. And all you have to do is say, any question you have, I will help you. Just feel free anytime. Be very casual about it, but don't keep asking them in a way that may seem intrusive. And of course, you know, depending on their own background, I don't know, some people have religious trauma. They may have uh, mm -hmm. come from other religious traditions where they're, they've, they've kind of gone down that path of people trying to coerce them and trick them into becoming, you know, practitioners. We never want to give that vibe to people. We don't want to give that creepy, weird vibe that we're, you know, just waiting, like, I can't wait to get you, you know, <laughs> stuff a lot. Um, and there's what, this is where actually to me, it's very disturbing, but there is this like fetish, fetishization of like the convert Muslim, right? That a lot of uh, born Muslims fall into where we can't, we just look, want people to become Muslim, but then it's like, then what? You gotta help them stay Muslim. You can't just want them to take Shahada with you so they can go brag about it to the world. You have to be more invested in their Akhira. So take it easy, leave the door open, be a very good Muslim in terms of your character. And if they're sincere, they're going to see you as the door through which they need to uh, learn more about Islam because you've made yourself open. And that's what Dawah is ultimately. It's leaving the door wide open and saying, we are here to answer your questions anytime. And even if we don't individually have the answers, we will do our best to get you the answer that you seek, inshallah. Inshallah. Barakallah. Fika. You know, just the summarizing points for those listening, you know, we spoke about Dawah, what it is, calling people to worship the one God, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also spoke about emotional intelligence, which has four different components to it. Five different components to it. I'm sorry. It's self-discovery. It's uh, motivation, self-awareness, motivation, self-awareness, self-regulation. And the last one is, don't tell me, um, I forget the last one. It's okay. You were so close. So it's self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Social skills. Social skills. Uh -huh. Social skills, you know. And we, you know, our wonderful ustada today taught us about a hadith in which the Prophet wasallam mentioned basically that tawheed, knowing who your Lord is, and that tawheed is the center point and the beginning point of emotional intelligence. And you can even argue for any type of intelligence at that point, right? Exactly. So the... What we everyone can take from here today is 
working on uh, attaining knowledge, but also attaining knowledge of your Lord, attaining knowledge of your religion is directly connected to emotional intelligence, you know, Absolutely. and being self-aware. And that self-awareness is what can help you with the other side that could also be tricky to navigate, which is becoming self-righteous, becoming overly righteous, becoming holier than thou, be becoming arrogant, which is the one thing we pray to avoid. May Allah protect us from that. So please uh, learn your religion, share it with people, but don't share in a manner in which you are being aggressive or in a manner to which you are, hey, you have to join this. No, share it in a way to where when people see the way you practice your life, they will want to join this because they see this is the truth, you know? Exactly. And you know, Ustada, before you get off, I always have everybody do this. Um, wait, let me <laughs> purify my intent, you know? I always ask everybody, please share one ayat one sunnah or one hadith with us so we can that people can practice and take up so we can collect ajr from this inshallah mashallah wow that's uh okay let me think um one of my favorite hadith is the hadith qudsi where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says i am in the opinion of my servant um and for me that's a very uh healing uh comforting uh, hadith because Allah subhanahu wa is telling us, like, just have the highest opinion of your Lord in every regard. Because if you have the highest opinion of your Lord, then he will confirm that for you over and over again. He will show you his generosity. He'll show you his mercy. He'll show you his bounties. He'll show you his grace because you believe that he will do that for you. And in this world, in this uh, dark age that we're living in, there's so much evil and so much darkness. But we have to remember that this is all written, that it was all foretold, that we're in the latter days. But there is something to look forward to, which is the other side of all of this, the akhir, which is much more important for us to focus on. We're here as travelers, as we know, we're not here to build, we're not here to settle, we're here to just travel through, and our goal should be the akhirah, and when Allah subhanahu is inviting us uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, know him, to love him, to worship him, it's so that he can ultimately reward us. And uh, alhamdulillah, that's where I, I take great comfort in that hadith. And I, I share that so that anyone who's feeling down on themselves or just going through a rough time, just remember, have the highest opinion of Allah and he will turn things around for you, inshallah. Inshallah, jazakallah. So please, brothers and sisters, this is the Remaster Podcast. Uh, also, please, coming up, this probably will be, this will be released in December. Please, coming up, we have Mass Igna Convention 2023 happening in Chicago, Illinois. Please sign up if you haven't. Please come be with the Muslimin. Mashallah. I, I love going. It's always a great time being with your fellow Muslim brothers and I'm sisters. I'm excited that you're going. I'll be there, inshallah. No. Inshallah. I, we'll see each other. Oh, inshallah. I get to learn from my ustada in person, inshallah, inshallah. I get to meet you in person, inshallah. inshallah. That's great. Inshallah, you're a wonderful team, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's, it's always a good time, brothers and sisters. Please check it out. Even if you, I mean, it's all wonderful speakers, mashallah. It's always a great place to help inspire you, reinvigorate you for the upcoming year to... Uh, Make plans just to improve yourself Islamically, spiritually, meet other people, potentially meet a spouse. Um, just many different connects, you know. It's it's I like it. Even if you don't do anything there, I promise you, you will like just being there from the simple fact of just being around a Muslim. I, I guarantee. Agree. 100%. <laughs> so brothers and sisters, please, this is the remaster podcast. Subscribe, check it out, and we'll see you guys later, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.